Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. While Maureen was playing, I I was thinking about other things that we have going on at Grace Baptist, our children's ministry, the way that Justin is overseeing that, the Sunday school teachers that are just faithful year after year after year. You you bring your children, there's going to be a teacher there for them. And those people are faithfully investing in your children year after year after year. What a blessing that is. The way that our finances have, the way that you have been able to structure your giving because of Andy Joyne's teaching of Financial Peace University. What a change and a blessing in our church that investment has made. There are just so many areas, young people growing up, getting married, and taking over ministries like Nathan and Kayla Arling taking over our Awana ministry. How many of you, the Awana ministry is a blessing for you and your children? I was just talking with the Georges. Their son-in-law leads the Awana ministry there, but he's paid staff. Nathan, with all the work that he does with being a teacher and having young children, all of that, leading our Awana ministry because he cares about the kids in this church. That's what God's doing at Grace Baptist. That's what discipleship has done at Grace Baptist. And I honestly... When I go other places and I see the way that other things are run, it is always so fun to come back to Grace Baptist Church because of you. And what a blessing it is to be here. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, we have been preaching through the book of Acts. And for the month of August, because I'm going to be gone next week, and then at the end of August, I'm going to be, Laura and I are going to go on vacation. Rather than going back and forth in Acts, I thought it would be good for us to lay some foundational things for the key characters in the book of Acts. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and his testimony of what God did in him and through him. How many of you are saved? You're, you're born again. You know Christ is your Savior. There, there, there's a B.C. and an A.D., right? Your life before Christ and your life after Christ. Now, for those of you who are like me, my life before Christ was I was a child, and then I got saved. And so, as Paul said to Timothy, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, that's my testimony, that I don't really have a testimony of an amazing change in my life because I was a kid. And many of you are that way, but others of you, you you were born again as adults, and you had established a life before you got saved, and now after you have received Christ as your Savior, now your life is different. Some of you, you have recently trusted Christ as your Savior, or you are saved as a young person, but you never really surrendered your life to Christ And so now you're beginning your journey as a a genuine follower of Christ. You are a saved person. You are a born-again person. But you are not a genuine disciple of Christ because you are not yet following him. Remember what a disciple is. A disciple is one who follows with the intent to learn and learns with the intent to obey. That's, That's what a disciple is. So some of you, you have more recently made that decision to follow Christ with your life. And I thought, looking at the, at the transition in Paul's life, that we could see a significant change. So look at Galatians chapter 1, and look at verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, so notice who he's talking to, Galatians 1, verse 11, church at Galatia, and he's writing to, to saved people, brethren. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So for me, I was raised in a Christian home. My father was a pastor and a church planter. 
And from a child, I knew the Holy Scriptures. The first verse I memorized as a child was uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, and where it says, uh, uh, ask, seek, and you shall find, knock, and you shall, you know, so I obviously don't remember the verse anymore. But that was the Matthew 7, 7. That was the first verse that I remember memorizing and that my adult mind has forgotten. But so from a little child, I knew what the gospel was. I, when I was in sixth grade, I, I was in public school, and I debated my teacher on evolution. I read William Jennings Bryan's pamphlet on evolution and went to school and debated my teacher. And so you young people, you can know, I was really popular at school. Yeah, I was a stud. Um, so I, I was raised around this all of my life, so I never really had a change, much of a change. But my, even though I didn't get saved until I was 15, I was living like a Christian before I was one. Why? Because my father would kill me if I didn't. Right? I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. So, my dad, though, was not raised in church. His parents thought that that preachers were mooches and didn't want to have anything to do with it. Dad went to Sunday school uh, when he was a child, and a Sunday school teacher taught him that when he died, his, there was a scale, and his good works would be put on one side of the scale, and his bad works would be put on the other side of the scale. And whichever way it went, that's where he would go. Can you imagine that's how that terrified a child? Aren't you glad that's not what's going to happen when you stand before Christ? Yeah, there's a scale. My righteousness and Jesus Christ's righteousness. Which one wins? Right? If you're born again, if you're not, you don't have any righteousness, so you're gone. That's all there is to it. So my dad, when he was a senior year, a senior in high school, he ran track at, in, at, at, in Pueblo, Colorado, and he had a guy named uh, Bob Lee or Bill Lee who ran track with him. And every Sunday, he'd pull up in front of my dad's house and honk the horn, say, Bob, are you coming to church today? And one day, my dad got out of bed, got in the car and went to church, And for the first time, he heard the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. Well, everything changed for my father. He was an athlete. He was somewhat of a scholar. He was a a very gifted musician. He could have done anything in the world he wanted to do, but God called him to preach. And so when he went off to Bible college, his family disowned him. I only saw my grandparents two or three times in my life. So there really was a before Christ and an after Christ in my father's life. The Apostle Paul here, oh, but what I wanted to tell you was the gospel that my father heard at that church, Park Hill Baptist Church in Pueblo, Colorado. My dad went to Bible college, went back, and was an assistant pastor there. And I was born there in Pueblo as my dad was an assistant pastor there at the same church where he was saved. Um, That gospel that my father heard, that gospel which was preached... The pastor there, that pastor received that gospel from another man. The gospel that I preach, I received it first of all from my father. I received that gospel from another man. Most of the people that you see in the New Testament, they received the gospel, they heard the gospel as it was preached by a man of God. That's not how the Apostle Paul received the gospel. You're not Paul. I'm not Paul. 
Your testimony is not Paul's testimony, and my testimony is not Paul's testimony. So we're going to learn some significant things about Paul and the change that was made in his life, but there are some things that happened in Paul that ought to happen in us. So let's continue reading. Verse 12 again. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught of it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews. All right, so his conversation, remember, every time you see conversation in the Bible, it's talking about not just your speech, but everything about your life, the way that you live. All right, for ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia, and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now, the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Now, think about this. So, Paul got saved and never went to church. How many of you think that's what God wants you to do now? You're not Paul. I'm not Paul. And yet something significant happened. So let's look at what happened to Paul. Put your marker here in Galatians 1 and let's go to Acts chapter 9. All right, Acts chapter 9. Remember in Acts chapter 8, you have the stoning of Stephen. That was kind of the last public sermon to all of Israel. And Stephen is stoned. And immediately Philip goes to Samaria. And then Philip talks to the Ethiopian eunuch who goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so now look at chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, so this is the apostle Paul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. This isn't um, Christopher Hitchens. This isn't David Hume or, or one of the other atheists just speaking against the Lord. This is a leader setting out to slaughter and lead others to slaughter Christians in the church. That's who Saul was. Verse 2, he went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, what, the people following the way, the truth, and the life, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Now, this is in Syria. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. 
And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Can you imagine what that voice sounded like? I guarantee you, it doesn't sound like my voice. Can you imagine? Shining light. A light so bright that he was blinded. Blinded. Who said, verse 5, or verse 4, And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? We need John Hartman to come and read that for us. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So when you would have oxen and you'd have them in a yoke pulling the plow, they wouldn't want to do it, and so they would kick the plow or the person holding the plow. So they'd put sharp sticks there that would keep the oxen from kicking the plow. Those were the pricks. And, it, it, and so God had been working in Paul's life. And what was Paul doing? He was kicking against it. How many of you know that God sought you? You didn't seek God. Why? There's none that seeketh after God, the Bible says. You didn't love him. He loved you. He first loved you. And as he came after you, some of you were kicking against it until finally you surrendered to the call of salvation. And this is a general call. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto thee. Jesus Christ, there's a general call of salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And that is the confirmation that he would draw through the Holy Spirit every person in the world to himself. And so God had been working in Paul's life, and we're going to see how, and yet he was kicking against it. So look at what it says in verse 6. And he, trembling, And astonished, this is Saul, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Later on in the book of Acts, it says they they didn't understand what this voice was. It just sounded like noise to them. Crazy. To them, it sounded like thunder. And in that, God is speaking to Paul. Wow. How many of you, that really didn't happen when when you got saved? You're not Paul. All right? It's interesting how people will try and take an extreme example like Paul and try to build a general doctrine for everyone from this. Paul was a unique individual. And obviously, God came to him in a very special way. And yet, Paul still had to surrender. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? All right. So, verse 8. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, because he was blind. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. So your discipler, 
did did God, so I discipled Andy. Did I disciple you, Andy? Okay. It's been too long ago. I don't remember. So here's what happened. God appeared to me. Jim, Jim, there's a loser coming to Grace Baptist. He's a pathetic human being who needs your greatness. How many of you think that's what happened? Because he's not pathetic and I'm not great. <laughs> Adam thought it really happened. He, he, he agreed with that. That's not how it works. Here's how discipleship works at Grace Baptist. Hey, Chad, I've got this guy that signed up for discipleship. I think you and Beth would be great for that couple. Am I the Holy Spirit? No, I'm the pastor and administrator, overseer of this church and overseer of the discipleship ministry. That's the way that we do it. You weren't discipled the way Paul was discipled. You weren't saved in the same manner that Paul was saved in. Now, you were saved by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection. Paul was saved by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection. But the message didn't come to you the way it came to Paul. Okay? So, verse 11 and the Lord said unto him, Arise, this is to Ananias, go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and hath seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake." And Ananias went his way and entering into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and he arose and was baptized. Now, look at what it says again, verse 19. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days uh, in with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached in the synagogues. He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now keep your place here in Acts chapter 9. We're going to go back to Galatians chapter 1. And let's look at what happened with the Apostle Paul. Verse 13, for ye have heard of my, conver- of my conversation in the past in the Jews' religion. So what conversion does is it takes you from one religion or no religion to the religion of God, to the faith which is in Christ, the faith once delivered to the saints, the common salvation. Amen? That's what a conversion is. Remember what we say. People have said that all religions are fundamentally the same, but only superficially different. You remember what we say about that, right? It'd be funny if any of you could actually quote this, because we did it for about 20 weeks. Yes, all religions are the same, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of man, the nature of God, the nature and members of the church. Other than that, we're all exactly the same. And so what Paul had to learn was that he had been grounded in one religion, the Jews' religion, but that Jesus Christ had come to fulfill 
the law. And now men were no longer under the law. They were under grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had to change what he believed. So the first thing that I want you to see is that Paul had a new philosophy. And so the title of my message today is, my message today is After Damascus. What happened at Damascus? He received Christ. After Damascus, what happened? Well, now he has a new philosophy. You see, his past life was about what he was doing. Look at what it says, verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He was a better Jew than any of the other Jews. That was his philosophy. It was a works-based, fleshly, philosophy. Now he had a new philosophy, a new way of thinking. His past life was about what he was doing. His new life was about what God had done in him. This is really important. I want you to to, to get this. Paul did not change from persecutor to preacher as one changes jobs when he gets tired of what he's doing. That's not what happened. Paul was not wrestling with doubts about whether his Judaism was true when he suddenly made up his mind to the contrary. The same is true of the conversion of any sinner. God always takes the initiative. As I quoted earlier, 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. His new life was about what God was going to do through him. Now, now look at this. Your Christian life is not about what you are doing. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing through you. Hold your place here in Galatians. Go to Acts chapter 3. I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. When Peter stood up to speak, it was not Peter speaking. Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost was speaking through Peter. When we are ministering for the Lord, that is the way we are to minister. When we're giving the gospel, it's not my formula that is winning people. It's the word of God. And the Bible says that Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. When we speak the word of God, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And that's what changes people. And that's why we take the Bible and preach it and teach it literally here at Grace Baptist Church. So he had a new philosophy. He had a new philosophy. He wasn't doing. He wasn't using his gifts. He was now giving his gifts to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was using those gifts through him. It's a completely different thing. So we we mentioned a few weeks ago, if you can't speak publicly, if you don't have the ability to formulate sentences 
coherently, then God has not called you to preach the Bible. Is that fair? You can do lots of other stuff. God has gifted you to serve in the church, but one of the qualifications for a pastor is apt, that is able, apt to teach. Okay? So I could talk from the time I was a child. That's a gift that God gave me. Many people, especially when I was a child, wished that God had not given me that gift. Because like my brother said when he was here, I talked about how he always used to beat me up. The first thing he said was, that's because you'd never shut up. So God gave me an ability to talk. God gave Ed an an ability with money, with numbers. God has given Jeff Bradshaw an ability with administration. I mentioned in Sunday school, God has given Rebecca Henderson an ability to give children the gospel. That's a cool thing. That's a gift from God. Isn't that cool? Well, Paul was obviously gifted, and we're going to see that that's in the text. But he was using those gifts against God's purpose. And now he has a change in philosophy. So, he had a new philosophy, but he also had a new purpose. Look at verse 16. What's his new purpose? Let's get 15 for the context. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son through me, Is that what your Bible says? What's it say? Okay, let's look at it again. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son, what are those next two words? That I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So he had a new purpose. He was separated from his mother's womb. Jeremiah was separated from his mother's womb. Isaiah, according to Jeremiah 1.5. Isaiah, the same, according to Isaiah 49.1. So, not before he was in his mother's womb. So, the Calvinist would preach that God saved us before the foundation of the world. That's not what this was saying. That Paul, after he was conceived, God separated him for a specific purpose. How did he do that? Hold your place here. Go to Psalm 139. Bible tells us exactly how he did it. Verse 13, Psalm 139, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. What are my reins? That's, that's what I'm made of. That's my innermost parts. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me. In my mother's womb, I will praise thee. So you see that? From my mother's womb, in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance, what I'm made of, was not hid from thee when I was... Uh, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum 
of them. So here's what God did. When the Apostle Paul was conceived, God gifted him from his mother's womb and separated him for a specific purpose, to be a preacher to the Gentiles. So what did that entail for the Apostle Paul? An IQ that's higher than yours. A capacity that's greater than yours and mine. An IQ, an ability with language and thought. An ability to stand and go against the flow. All of that was in Paul from his mother's womb. He's a very special creation. Can I tell you something? You are a very special creation. That ability that you have with numbers, that ability that you have with people, that ability that you have for hard work, that ability that you have to see a job completed, that ability that you have to see black and white, that ability that you have to make someone understand a distinction between one thing and another. Do you know what those are all? Those are all spiritual gifts. The gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy, the gift of helps, all of those, the gift of mercy. Some of you, you can look at a person and know what's going on in them, know that they need help. Others of you have no idea. Why? God did not give you that giftedness. So what God does is he gives all of you to the church. Because there's no way that the pastor can have all of those gifts. There's no way that the deacons can have all of those gifts. We need all of us in this body. But the Apostle Paul was gifted in a way that I dare say none of us are. So, he had a new purpose. He was separated from his mother's womb. Peter and Paul both healed a crippled man who was in that condition from his mother's womb. We've already looked at the one in Acts chapter 3, but in Acts chapter 14 and verse 8, Paul will do it. John the Baptist, according to Luke 1.15, was filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. What? You understand you don't get the Holy Ghost until you're saved. How many of you know that? Now, of course, John the Baptist came along before Pentecost. But can I just tell you something? You're not John the Baptist. And again, when the Calvinist tries to take that and and make a general principle of it, that the way that God saves everybody, everyone who will be saved, is to fill them with the Holy Ghost from their mother's womb. That's a general principle taken from a single, non-normative miracle and work of God. It's easy to see the difference. Your kids are not filled with the Holy Ghost from their mother's womb. They're the ones throwing the fit at Walmart. And so here's John the Baptist, who God chose to be the forerunner of Christ on the earth. You're not him. Amen? That takes a little pressure off. But God has called you to use the gifts that he's given you. So, the context here, again, look at what it says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15 But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, the context here is not Paul's salvation, but his purpose in Christ. This separation was both positive and negative from something to something. And he was to be a tool of the father to reveal the son. But there was a prerequisite. Before he could do this, Christ had to be in him. 
So again, look at what it says in verse 16. To reveal his son in me. You can't reveal what's not in you. How many of you are born again? Well, the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. What is your job? What is your job? The same job that God gave Paul to reveal Christ. How? By the change that's in you. When did this happen for Paul? After Damascus. What change has been made in you after your Damascus? After you received Christ. After those scales, as it were, fell from your eyes. And now you're spiritually alive. And you're able to spiritually discern the things of God. What is in your life after Damascus? After your Damascus, where God, through you, Christ in you is doing ministry in the world. Wow. I hope you'll ask yourself that question. He was a tool of the Father to reveal the Son. And of course, the person of Christ is the heart of the gospel. Now, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to finish this message this evening. But again... How many of you are saved? You know Christ is your Savior. How many of you were saved, you know, late teens, early adult, or later? Raise your hands. Okay. So you had a life before Christ. What in your life... Remember what I said. Let's, let's lay a groundwork. You're not Paul. Okay? You didn't establish... All of the churches that came out of Antioch. Amen. Don't try to compare yourself to Paul. That's, that's a really bad idea. But as you look back, since you're Damascus, what has the Holy Spirit done in you? And here's what's interesting. Let me tell you the way that God does this. And we could flesh this out from Scripture, but we're not going to take the time this morning. Do you know when you grow? You grow as you begin learning, but your genuine growth is when you begin doing. Because what happens is you might go to college and you train for a career. And you, you, you get the fundamental tools to do that. You don't know how to do the job until you're doing the job. Amen? So Jacob graduated with a computer science degree, and he got to his job at Northrop Grumman, and one of the first things he had to do was he actually had to learn a new computer language. Well, if he had known he was going to need that language, he would have learned it before he got to the job. But you don't know what you need to learn until you're doing the job. Does that make sense? And so it's very important for us to recognize that when you, if you're examining your life and what the Holy Spirit has done in and through you since Damascus, if you look at that and you see things in your personal behavior and your personal walk with Christ, and you can genuinely see a difference, but if you don't see much of a difference in the way that God is using you in other people's lives, the reason you don't see that is you've not begun doing those things yet. See, Paul had to go to Damascus. He had to be trained under Ananias. And then 
He had to go into the wilderness for three years, and Jesus Christ taught him. He began preaching in the synagogues right away, but he didn't know the gospel and the mysteries of the church until he was with Jesus for three years. And then God was able to use him. What are you to do? Well, you get saved, and you follow the Lord in baptism, and you get discipled. You start learning the things that you need to know so that God can use you. But you will never truly grow until you begin investing those things in other people and doing ministry. So, do you have, since you're after your Damascus, do you have a new philosophy? I was about working my job and using my gifts to earn a living and to enjoy my hobbies. Now, you're still going to use those gifts after your Damascus to earn a living and enjoy your hobbies. But are you using those gifts in the organization that God has chosen to amalgamate those gifts into one body, which is the church? Are you doing that? Because here's what's going to happen. When you start using those gifts that way, you're going to see such a huge change. Justin Yeo chose to do a master's in religious education to learn how to minister here better. And so what happens is, as he does ministry here, his capacity to do ministry is growing. It's just growing like crazy. Ed Bermond didn't enjoy any kind of being in public and and speaking in public and doing any of those things. And he enjoys those things not much more now. And yet, and yet, God's given the capacity to lead people at Grace Baptist Church. He's always had the capacity to lead men. That's what his job has been. But now he has the capacity to be a spiritual leader and to understand what God is doing and to put up with the the shortcomings of his pastor as they try and work together. You see, when you start serving God, God enables you and empowers you to do more. Um, Let's all stand together. I'll finish with this. I like to say I know a lot less about pastoring now than I did 26 years ago. I had had training. I'd been to two different Bible colleges. I'd grown up in a pastor's home. I'd been around the ministry my whole life. I was 33 years old when I came here. And there was so much that I didn't know. Now, it took a group of people. I think of Jeff and Sue Blackford and Dan and Doty and you folks that were here, Tom and Marcy. And, and you had to be patient with me. And it's a blessing that you saw some giftedness in me, and yet you saw a lot of immaturity. You saw a lot of areas that I needed to grow. And you loved me and put up with me and all of those things. And so, you know, down the road, years from now, we're going to have to have a new pastor. There's probably not a 33-year-old guy that could come now and pastor Grace Baptist Church and do all the things that we're doing. Why? Because as I have pastored and done the work, my capacity for the work has grown. And you all are the same way. So I've been using Justin as my illustration. When Justin started with ODOT, he had a limited job and a a limited capacity to do that job. Now he's doing much more work, probably than you ever thought you would have been able to do. How old were you when you started there? When he was 22 years old. So now at 53, he is able to, he's able to do more than he thought he would have had the capacity to do. And not only that, he does administration here at Grace Baptist Church as well. 
He does discipleship at Grace Baptist Church and teaches at Grace Baptist Church on top of all of his responsibilities at the state. Why? Because like all of us, when we're doing our job, our capacity to do that job grows as we do it. As we do ministry, think about this. The Holy Spirit grows our capacity to do that work in the ministry. So I want you to be in, to prayerfully consider, what is my life after Damascus? What has God done in me? And how is God using me? And if you don't see that God is using you much, sign up for discipleship. Let that be your beginning. And then get with one of our team leaders. All the team leaders, come up here on the platform with me. I'm just telling you, most pastors would dream to have something like this. We were forced into it because Nathan left and we had a second mortgage. And what God did was he raised these men up. So Jim is in charge of our first impressions ministry. That, that's our grounds. That's welcoming people into the church. That's our security. All of that. Jim is over every bit of that. Chad is over all of the teams. He helps me administrate and make sure the meetings and all of those things are put together. Ed does nothing. Then Ed's the chairman of our deacons. He's the church treasurer. He's over all of... Now, he's not technically the church treasurer for other reasons, but he helps counsel us on all of those things. Justin is in charge of our children's ministry. And what else? Okay. Ty is over our our teens, our, our youth ministry. Is there anything more important than that? And then Jacob is over audiovisual and computers and social media. And Patrick is over the Ancient Baptist Journal and all of the work that we're doing outside through media. Patrick is, is involved in all of that. In that, we need people to take articles and transpose them, get them ready to go on the Internet. We need people to give money for this ministry, the things we're doing outside of here. We need people who are willing to help with sound and help with music and help with, with uh, social media and all of those things. Video, it's vital. That, you know that we're in a visual age. Jacob needs all of those people. Ty is constantly needing helpers and workers, whether it's to do something at your house or to help plan an activity or to help fund an activity for these young people. Justin is always in need of people for junior church and for the Sunday school and for Awana and for all of our activities. He is over all of that. Ed always needs money. (laughs) Jim, listen, greeters, we need people who are clean. You look like you have walking around sense so that when you shake hands with someone, remember, people decide within about 30 seconds whether they're coming back. And they see you and they say, uh-uh, no way. We need people who can say, this looks like my kind of person. I can be here. So that means we need young people. We need old people. We need in-between people, right? Who are able to clean and understand that their clothes make a statement. All of that has to do with the greeters who understand two words, breath, mint. <laughs> if you can do that, he needs you. Our grounds, we just spent $2,000 doing uh, landscaping. And that's just the maintenance for this year. I'd love to put a team together of skilled people where we get together for a weekend and we just do it all without having to spend God's money on it. That's all under Jim. And right now we have men who help with that. 
Patrick Miller and Jerry Wolf. They can't do all of this. Dr. Reed, we have the most overqualified lawnmower in America. They can't do all of this by themselves. Do you see how you are needed? And then discipleship. So what are we talking about? We're talking about before Damascus and after Damascus. How many of you are saved? Are you thankful for that? What are you doing for God? You can't do anything to go to heaven, but he has gifted you and enabled you, and he wants to expand you. Lord, thank you so much for this text, for the testimony of Paul, and for the example that you've given us.